I'll tell you, joy is the key to a proper attitude in life. And brethren, we are all going to face all kinds of trials and struggles. It's not all a picnic. It's not all a, it's not all a hallelujah shout and mash. I know that, friend. But joy is not created by possessions. Joy is not created by positions. Joy is created by a person, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And a good dose of holy joy would do us all well. And I'm not talking about silly putty religion here, brother. I'm talking about something that comes but from being rightly related to God and being in the presence of God. I believe of all the people alive on planet Earth today, we should not be wringing our hands and worrying about the future and worrying about the end of the world and worrying about this and worrying about that. I believe of all the people in the world, we should have the joy of God in these latter days unparalleled to the rest of our society. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the church. And this morning we're continuing our series uh, at the book of Philippians, through the book of Philippians, entitled Reasons to Rejoice. And a uh, quick disclaimer, I was up at 4 a.m. this morning. Extend some grace to me. I'll explain why after we, we close near the conclusion of why I was up at 4 a.m. So if I say things here that don't make sense, just pretend I'm speaking in tongues or something. Um, <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, what an honor it is, what a privilege it is to get to speak of your majesty and your greatness. You are such a good God, and you are so gracious to us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here, and we pray you move in power in our hearts to change our desires, to stir our affections for you, Jesus. Would you increase today? And we decrease in praise in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, uh, if you know me growing up, when I was around like 9 or 10, I was all into trading cards. I'm talking like NHL, NFL, MLB. Like that was my treasure. That was what I valued the most. Anyone? Can I hear an amen? Any of you guys out there? No? Every time you walked into 7-Eleven, you were scouting out the cards after you got big league chew. Come on. Someone say preach, Nick. Okay. Anyways. Um, so I had this red tub. It looked like a suitcase. It was plastic, opened up completely like that, and it was just full of all of my prized treasures, my possessions. And what was interesting about this little suitcase is that it had, if you laid it flat on the ground, it had a flap that opened up. So you could quickly access the cards that were in there. You didn't have to open up the whole thing. Now, when that was on the ground and you opened the flap, one might have mistaken that for a potty training toilet. Just, there's just a chance that that might have happened, foreshadowing. Um, and so me and, my, me and my boy, Mike DiGiulio, we're, we're in my room. We open the closet door. I pull out my treasure chest, and, and, and we open it up. We're about to trade cars, all this stuff. I open up the lid, and all of a sudden, I'm overwhelmed by this smell of asparagus. And, uh, and I pick up the cards, and they're, they're stuck together. And uh, I realize in an instant... My younger brother, Jake, who I believe at the time was being potty trained, decided, unbeknownst to me, and I think unbeknownst to him, when I uh, was out of my room, to open up my closet door, pull out my treasure chest, and use that as his toilet. Um, and so in an instant, the reason I share that is in an instant, my prized possession, the thing I valued most in life, became, became worthless, became trash. I just threw the whole thing out. I'm like, I'm going to find another hobby. Thanks, Jake. Um, 
And so the reason I share that is because in our text today, that is the way the Apostle Paul describes to the church at Philippi what he used to value, what he used to treasure, what he used to put his confidence in before he met Jesus Christ, the one of surpassing value, the one who, once you come to know this Jesus, everything else pales in comparison. And so we're going to uh, break this up into uh, uh, three sections here. We're not going to read the text out loud together. We're going to kind of journey through it together. And the first thing I think the Apostle Paul points out uh, to the church at Philippi is he gives them a warning. And he says, church at Philippi, look out. He says, look out. He says, look out for, for people and certain philosophy, philosophies that preach a false gospel. Look at verse 1 with me. Finally, my brothers. That finally there, the Apostle Paul, uh, being a preacher, uh, he says finally when he still has two more chapters to go. You know, that in conclusion, and then I speak for another half hour type of thing. Uh, but this is a transitional statement. It's kind of like an in addition to. So then, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me. He's already mentioned this, I think, four or five times in this letter to the church at Philippi. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Christian, you have reasons to rejoice in Jesus, reasons infinite to rejoice in Jesus. And what's interesting, what the Apostle Paul doesn't say here is, hey, church at Philippi, rejoice in your circumstances. Rejoice in the fact that you have comfort. Rejoice in the fact that you have retirement. Rejoice in the fact uh, 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 of all those blessings that you count here. He doesn't say that. Why? Because where is Paul right now when he's writing this letter? He's locked up. He's chained to a Roman guard under house arrest. See, for the apostle Paul, you want to learn a secret about joy. This dude, man, he didn't find it. In his, he didn't find it horizontally. You can't find joy everlasting horizontally. You can only find it vertically. This joy that sustains you. And no matter what crisis, no matter what situation, no moment of suffering you're in, you have that sure foundation of joy in God. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he follows it with, this is safe for you. In the Greek, that word is a safeguard. This is a safeguard for you. What a safeguard is, is a... a measure taken to protect someone or to prevent something undesirable. Christian, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is the one thing that's going to keep you from seeking joy elsewhere. See, the call of Christ is all, all of you who are heavy laden and burning, come to me and I'll give you rest. Well, that's the call of every addiction that we face. And the interesting thing is that those things promise life everlasting to you. We fall for that. But here's the deal. Jesus promises that, and he's the only one who can deliver it. Abundant life. Come to me for abundant life, life everlasting. I'll blow your mind with joy. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Rejoice in the Lord. This is a safe guard for you. You want to protect your walk with the Lord? You got to love him. You got to delight in him. You got to worship him. You got to have joy in him. And we know this to be true because the best way to safeguard your marriage is by rejoicing in and delighting in your spouse. It's the safest way to guard your marriage is to have a beloved friend who you date and who you, who you love and not just a, a shoulder-to-shoulder business partner, which sometimes is how it needs to go. But anyways, we know that to be true. And he's saying, um, this is a safe guard for you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And then uh, in verse 2, we have the command to look out. And here's the deal. The Apostle Paul says some some shocking things here, but here's the deal. The Apostle Paul treasured the gospel, treasured Jesus so much that when people proclaiming to be Christians perverted that gospel, and the best way to, to do that is to tell people to focus on themselves and not on Jesus, he said some harsh things when that happened. He guarded the gospel with every fiber of his being. And the church at Philippi, the reason he says the joy in the Lord is your strength, is a safeguard for you is because there are people, these missionaries called Judaizers, who are about to show up at Philippi, and they're going to preach a false gospel that would have robbed them of all joy in God because it was a self-focus on their own righteousness rather than boasting in the righteousness of Christ, like we sang here today. And so you want, to, you, want to, you want to be safeguarded against a false gospel? Delight in Jesus Christ. Because you can spot garbage from a mile away. You say, that doesn't smell right, that doesn't sound right. And so the Apostle Paul says some shocking things. He says, three lookouts here. Look out for the dogs, verse 2. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh three times. He says, look out, look out, look out. What he doesn't say here is, hey, Church of Philippi, have an open mind. Right? Hey, have an open mind, you know? Don't be so close-minded. And I get, I'm not, I get the principle behind open-mindedness. I think I, I, the way I like to frame it is, is a household. We, I want to be the most hospitable person on the planet. Christians should be the most hospitable people on the planet. People of different religions, backgrounds, ethnicities should be dwelling in your house, coming and dining with you. I think that's a good principle behind open-mindedness. I think a terrible principle behind this, and that I've seen during youth ministry wreck people's lives, is, hey, take the doors off your house. Take the windows off your house. Let anyone with any agenda come in your house and camp out. No, because you, you protect what you value. We would never do that. And in the same way, Paul's saying, Christians, we need, we need to be careful. We need to look out. Look out for certain people and certain doctrines that aren't true to the gospel. And not, not fall captive to that. Not fall captive to that. And who are these Judaizers? There were certain Jewish uh, converts to Christianity. This is who Paul's speaking out against, who, who kind of followed Paul in his tracks. I mean, he'd go plant a church, and they'd go try to undo everything he did. Um, uh, converts to Christianity who still wanted to hold on to various forms of Judaism. They believed that Gentiles had to become Jews before becoming Christians. And so this involved the act of circumcision, and now they had to take on the law of Moses. And they preached a false, dangerous gospel of self-atonement and salvation. So what the Apostle Paul does here is uh, he flips the argument on, uh, uh, he reverses kind of the, the tone of the Judaizers when he calls them dogs, because that's what the Judaizers were called Gentiles. It's actually you guys are the dogs. And that term, I mean, we love our dogs today, but dogs in the ancient world were like filthy scavengers who ate carcasses. Um, and he's calling them dogs. And then he calls them uh, evildoers. The Judaizers prided themselves on that. They were, all, they were all that in a bag of chips. They were hitting this thing out of the park. Look at us. Look at our righteousness. And he says, actually, no, you're not, you're not good doers. You're evildoers. You're leading people astray from the true gospel, from Jesus Christ. How dare you? That's evil. And to do that in the name of Jesus. And then lastly, he says, you are those who mutilate the flesh. There, he was saying uh, in Galatians 6.15, he says this, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. 
See, see, these Judaizers prided themselves on circumcision, which was the old covenant sign that you were the covenant people of God, that, that God declared of you, I will be your God and you will be my people. With the new covenant, Christ comes, and the sign and seal of the new covenant age, baby, is a new heart, a new creation, your new creation in Christ. And uh, in contrast to this mindset, Paul gives us in verse 3, three marks of authentic faith in Christ Jesus. Three marks of what it looks like, the opposite of what the Judaizers were preaching. Three marks of authentic faith in Christ. He says, "For we," verse 3, for we are the circumcision, meaning we're the true Israel. He's speaking to Gentiles, and he's saying, we're the true Israel, the true covenant people of God, who worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. So what does authentic faith in Christ look like? According to the Apostle Paul, he says, one, we worship by the Spirit of God. Church, we are the temple of the living God, the place where his glory now dwells. We don't need to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. No, we, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we as the church are the place, the living stones where his presence dwells among us. So you worship by the Spirit of God on your way to transit. You worship at transit, and you worship on your way home transit, and when you're back at home. Worship wherever you're at. Why? Because God's spirit indwells you. We now have that beautiful promise. And then secondly, we glory. That word in Greek, it could also mean boast, that we sang today. We, we glory, we boast in Jesus. Our lives are no longer about ourselves and how awesome we are. Why? Because we met someone a lot more awesome. We met someone of, of surpassing worth, surpassing value. We don't boast in ourselves anymore. We, can't, we kind of lost that right when we uh, handed over our lives to Jesus. Because we're saying we have nothing to boast in. We need, we need your righteousness. We boast in Christ. And what that looks like next is that we put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. We put all of our confidence vertically. I've, played, I've set the Lord always, Psalm 16. Jeff said it uh, during the announcements, and I have it in my notes here. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will never be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices, for you're not abandoned my soul to shield or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. My confidence our confidence is vertical. It's in Jesus. In your presence is fullness of joy. So secondly, Paul illustrates, uh, and this is great, through verses four through six, he illustrates what he used to treasure, what he used to value before he met Jesus. The second point is we see Paul's former confidence in the flesh. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 3, but on the screen it starts at verse 4. For we the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ, and put no confidence in the flesh. Listen, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And in the Greek, it actually says that Paul says, boom, drops the mic, <laughs> walks away. Um, and so we need to ask ourselves, why is Paul going on this pre-conversion rant? Why is he boasting in the flesh here? And it's a response to the Judaizers. And what he's doing is he's playing their game, right? And so for, for me, I did youth ministry for a long time, and I had this one guy, bless his heart, uh, the, 
Anyways, he challenged me a lot. And he always, he never seen me play hockey. I grew up playing ice hockey. Never seen me step, never seen me play once. And he played hockey. And he was always chirping, always dogging me. Oh, you're a bender, dude. I would school you any day of the week. And a bender means if you've ever been public skating before, people don't know how to tie their skates. And so their ankles are all like bent in. Looks like they're going to break their ankles. Anyways, hockey terms. You don't need to know that. Um, and so I, I, I challenged him this. And I said, hey, I'm going to wager you this, all right? Let's invite the entire youth group to watch us play hockey. And we'll, le- we'll let our playing do the talking, okay? And so we went and played hockey. The youth group didn't come. I, didn't, I wanted to spare him that. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Doing a little boasting in the flesh here, sorry. <laughs> but let's just say he didn't talk so much after we, we went and played hockey um, together. And I think that is what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's saying, listen, Judaizers, you're boasting in the flesh. Come step on the ice with me. Let's, let's play a little hockey together. I can out-Judaize you any day of the week, and I don't need to. I already have. My legacy speaks for itself. Come at me. Right? And this is what he says. He points them to his, his lineage and his legacy. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. My parents strictly observed the Mosaic law from the day of my birth. I'm from the nation of Israel. I'm not a Gentile convert. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Ever heard of it, Judaizers? Yeah, kind of a big deal. What tribe are you from? Don't care. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Yeah, I was born and raised in Tarsus, but I can speak Hebrew like this. You want to speak Hebrew with me? Can you talk Hebrew? No, you probably can't. And I took Hebrew last year. That's no joke. He, he can speak Hebrew, but that's, that's a big deal. And then he points them not just to his lineage of his uh, uh, Judaism by birth, but then he points them to his legacy. He says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. I knew, I knew my scriptures. I knew my theology inside and out. Ever heard of the Sanhedrin uh, scribe Gamaliel? Yeah, kind of a big deal. He's like the Wayne Gretzky of the Sanhedrin. He, he taught me everything I knew. Who, who was your mentor? Who taught you? Don't care. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Not only did I know my theology, I had passion. I had passion for it. I had zeal. I had anger in my blood for what I believed in. Passion, zeal. And lastly, as to righteousness, blameless. You looked at me externally, and I, I knocked this thing out of the park. And what Paul says is, he schools the Judaizers at their game, and the beautiful thing is what he's going to lead us into next. He says, it doesn't matter. Why are we still playing this game when the victory's been won in Jesus? This is foolishness. This is foolishness, Judaizers. And then he points them to his present present confidence in Christ. We're going to read verses 7 through 8. Whatever gain I had, remember, we're coming off the cusp of that that resume. He says, whatever gain I had in that that former pride of mine, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order, in order that I may gain Christ. I may gain Christ. So what did Paul lose? Three times here he says, I lost, I lost, I lost. And what Paul says he lost here in verses 7 through 8, in comparison 
in comparison to meeting and knowing his Savior, Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus. What he says that that is, he says, pile up all my good works, pile up everything I've ever done, and it's a, and it's a big pile of dung. That's what it is. That's what it says. I mean, that's what it says in the Greek. And actually, my Greek professor would say that that isn't a good rendition of that word. It's actually what I should be saying is a word I can't repeat in church for an accurate rendition of what that meant in the ancient context. That word rubbish there, I can all things rubbish. He's saying everything pales in comparison so much so that Paul's willing to, to call, it, call it dung. All his good works, all his personal righteousness, his boasting and confidence in himself and his flesh, it means nothing. And he suffered greatly for Jesus. We know that to be true. He suffered the loss of all things. But compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus, it was all worth it. And so I think where we go wrong um, with this is uh, I think we, we are Judaizers a lot of times in our, in our thinking, in our theology, because we believe we have to come to God with all of our good works for, in order for him to accept us, right? And so, so with that said, um, anyone know what these bad boys are? I'll fan them out for you. It's not Monopoly money. Anyone come on, where are my foreign area officers at? Rubles. Rubles, yeah, there you go, Justin. You got it. Uh, 600 rubles, which I think is like 25 cents American dollars. Um, just kidding. Don't ask me how I came about acquiring these. But I think, I think the way we think this, this, I think we have a transactional mindset when it comes to God. And so it would be like me today leaving, leaving church, and uh, I love coffee. It'd be, I'd be stepping into Starbucks, and a little shout-out for my Russian speakers here, the transit. I would slap these rubles on the table, and I would say, And Now, I have all of these rubles. I got so much money, and I want coffee. Coffee now. Boom. Because I'm so awesome. I have 600 rubles. Now you have to bless me with a delicious cup of coffee. And we, we present this. To, if I went and did that to the baristas, they would look at me like I'm out of my mind. This dude's speaking in tongues, and, and, he, uh, and he's giving me uh, Monopoly money. Right? And what they would say is, hey, we don't, we don't accept that currency here. You want to know the kind of currency that God accepts? He says, don't bring me your rubles. Don't bring me your righteousness. That means nothing. Give me your bankruptcy. Let me fill you up. Give me your sins. Let me, let me, let me, let me wash you clean. That's what I accept. Come to me just as you are. You're not going to leave just as you can. But you know what? Those rubles, those, those works of righteousness, you, you can leave those behind. I don't need that. In fact, what you need is my righteousness. And uh, next up, we looked at what Paul lost in Christ. And now Paul's going to point us to what he gained. What he gained. And what he gained, Christian, the end of the gospel is not that we're just forgiven, not that we're just sanctified. The end of the gospel is that we get God. We get Jesus. And so what Paul gained was Christ. He was found in him. He knew him. And all the blessings that flow from that, full justification, ongoing sanctification, and anticipated glorification. Point A, full justification, verse 9. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So this justification is a big word, and the way J.I. Packer defines it is this. Justification is a judicial act of God pardoning sinners, accepting them as just, so putting permanently right their previously estranged relationship with himself, pardoning us, accepting us as just, and putting us permanently right. Romans 5, 1 1 through 2, this is the Apostle Paul. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because of the work of Jesus, we now stand in grace. We can't can't leave grace. You can't can't out-sin grace. It's not like you, you... Come to church and you get grace and then you go out and you, uh, and you, and you sin. No, you stand in it. No matter what season of life you're in, no matter what, whether you're sinning now or sinning later, you stand in. You can't escape as a Christian the grace of God. You stand in that because of the work of Christ. And he says, we access this by trust, by faith. And what that is, it's simply a shift of focus. It's, stop, it's not introspective, it's extrospective. It's not looking inside yourself for salvation. It's finally throwing up your hands in the air and saying, I, I, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I need you and I trust you for my salvation, you for my righteousness. It's a shift of focus, a shift of our boasting, our, our praise, our pride, and all that stuff. And sadly for a lot of us here, we keep dragging ourselves into court over past mistakes and over big regrets we have when in fact we're innocent of all of that, right? We do that all the time, drag ourselves into court and we declare ourselves guilty, right? Guilty, the verdict is guilty. You are a terrible person, you are guilty, you need to atone for those sins and if you were to open up the record book, it would say you are washed, you are cleansed. We have no record of that. Right? And so I'm going I'm to take a quick second and, and boast in Christ. You pull up my, my record right now, maybe not my driving record, but you pull up my, my record in the book of life, and it says, Nick Mudrizel, you want to know what that's going to say? Just say, covered by the sweet blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. He's covered. He's forgiven. He's justified. He's my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Let's go, man. That's life-changing stuff right there. God declares over you in Christ, you're righteous. Why do we keep condemning ourselves? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? If God's going to say that about us, how dare we say something different? And next, we see ongoing sanctification, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in death. And the Apostle Paul wanted to know Jesus, know the power of his resurrection. And he wanted to share in his sufferings. Look at the passion he had for, for Jesus there. And what sanctification there is it's knowing Jesus and becoming more like him. Where through the, the power and the, and the life-giving work of the Spirit indwelling you, we become less and less like our former selves, baby, and more and more like Jesus. And the beautiful uh, implication of that is, Christian, 
God is presently at work in your life. He is bringing out, he is working out your salvation just as much as you are. We don't, we, don't, we don't serve and know a deistic God who just justifies us and says, peace, see you when you die. No, he's a God who's presently at work in your life. That is beautiful, beautiful news. J.A. Packer says this about sanctification. God's method of sanctification is neither activism, self-reliant activity, nor apathy, God-reliant passivity, but God-dependent effort. Knowing that without Christ enabling me, we can do nothing, morally speaking, as we should, and that he is ready to strengthen us for all that we have to do. We, I love, man, I love this part. We stay put. We remain, we abide in Christ, asking for his help constantly, and we receive it. So the beautiful part about sanctification, it's not just self-reliant effort, devoid of the work of God, or just passive God-reliance, but God-dependent effort. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work uh, your salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't that, is that good news? God of the universe, is that work in your life? Come on, man. Salvation past, justification by faith. Salvation present, God actively at work in you. Man, thank God for that. And I think, uh, I love this part. He says, stay put. So here's the deal. If I wanted to have the aroma of Christ, or, or how about this? If I wanted to have the aroma of Starbucks, what, what would I do? Well, I would go and I would study in Starbucks and, and camp out there for a while. Let that aroma sink deep into the fibers of my skin, that burnt cheese, coffee roasting stench. If you guys ever been at a coffee shop for too long, you can't stay too long because you leave smelling. And here's the deal. I leave that coffee shop studying way too longer than I should, and people know once I leave that place that I have been with Starbucks, right? That dude smells like Starbucks. He's been hanging out at Starbucks, Right? Well, how does sanctific- sanctification come about? John 15, 5. Jesus Christ says, stay put. Remain in me. Abide in me. For a part, you can do nothing. You stay with me, church. Man, you're going to bear some fruit. And the command in John 15 is not go out and bear fruit. The command in John 15 that Jesus tells his disciples is, listen, get close to me and see what happens. Stay put in me and, get, and, and, and see what happens. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to do some work, but but you might do 1%. I'm going to do 99%. You just, you just stay put, church. Get close to Christ. Lean into Christ. Spend time with him in prayer and worship. And he's actively at work. And lastly, anticipated glorification. Verse 11, the apostle Paul says, that by any means possible, I, uh, I may obtain attain the resurrection from the dead. That by any means possible there is not Paul doubting. It's not him questioning. We know in Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. No, what Paul is saying is, hey, I know the what of my glorification, but I'm a little unsure about the how. But here's the deal. I know it's coming, baby. I don't know the time. I don't know the circumstance, but it's coming. I am sure of this. What a sure foundation we have in Jesus Christ. Come on, church. The blessings we have in Jesus, salvation past, salvation present, salvation future, future glorification. And for Paul, that present reality, that one day, 
that one day he was going to be a sinless creature in a deathless body. That's the way J.I. Packer puts it. I love that. A sinless creature in a deathless body forever beholding the glory of our God. And Paul anticipated that day at full assurance. He was working that out with fear and trembling. But that future glory had a present effect on his attitude uh, and actions. He knew that, that, hey, hey, there's a train coming. People get ready. There's a train coming. So a couple years ago, almost every sermon I talk about Colorado. Maybe, maybe the Lord will call me to plant a church in Breckenridge one day. We'll see. Keep praying about that. Um, but my wife and I, two, two years ago, we went uh, to, uh, to Breckenridge and did some hiking in the summer. It's just that place is like paradise, man. It is just, I mean, blown away by the majesty there. And um, before, we, before we even went there, we booked a flight. And, and I've never flied United before, but I heard about this United Airlines. Never seen, really, a United plane before. But I, but I had that ticket purchased. And each day as I got closer, I mean, it was, I was anticipating that. I was getting ready. I got a big smile on my face thinking about when that day comes. And when those, those days at work were hard and they're a stressful situation, I was thinking about those, those, those snow-covered mountains. And I knew that that day was coming. It was coming. And that's the hope we have, church, that future glory in Christ. Sinless creatures and deathless bodies. And I'll conclude with this. Uh, uh, verse 1, going back to verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And so the reason I woke up at 4 a.m. Uh, this morning is uh, before I say anything, I just want to clear up the waters a little bit. Um, so I'll just say this, because this is a controversial topic in some settings. We're part of the Acts 29 network. The president of Acts 29, Matt Chandler, is a reformed charismatic. And in fact, I listened to a recent podcast of his where he was at a conference with guys like Jack Deere and Sam Storms, and they were talking about spiritual gifts and charismatic. And, and, and Matt Chandler's talk, he actually talked, this is the president of our church planning network, Acts 29, talked about how he is trying to uh, shift the focus and, and, or, or shift the, 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 the ministry philosophy there to more of the charismatic. just want to preface that uh, because I'm a, I'm a reformed charismatic as well. And so with that said, um, I, I just believe the Bible. Uh, there, I don't know if you guys are familiar with these theological debates. You have to go to seminary to find out that God doesn't speak anymore. Um, but there's, uh, there's cessationists and there's continuationists. Cessationists believes that God, uh, God's word is, it is sufficient. It is our final authority. Nobody disagrees with that. They say that God... Uh, doesn't speak anywhere else but his word to us. At least some do. And that certain gifts have ceased. And, and I'm kind of under the impression that uh, God gave us a book from Genesis to Revelation of him speaking in crazy ways to people. Maybe that, I don't know, maybe that can continues till today. Uh, just a thought. I mean, we can talk about that. Uh, I, I'm in a class right now uh, that is dealing specifically with this. And what's funny is I'm out of Reformed theology, awesome theology. He's been so blessed by it. But it's actually my, uh, <laughs> not indoctrination of cessationism, but uh, my study of cessationism that has led me to be a full-blown like continuationist. 
Because I realize the arguments, in my opinion, don't really hold that much water. So with that said, it took me going to a cessationist uh, a, a seminary to encounter guys like the counter-arguments, like Sam Storms and some of these other guys, and be like, whoa, no, 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 I want, I want this. And so what that has led me to is these last couple months of my life have been awesome, have been awesome. And so I view my walk with the Lord kind of like playing. Anyone been to the beach and play in the surf? Man, that's fun, right? And when the waves are good. It's awesome, right? And that's the Christian life. You, you, you interact with the power of God, and you just ride the waves. It's a huge adventure. And sometimes when you're out there playing in the surf, you're just kind of hopeful. You're like, man, I hope a big old wave comes and jacks me up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to just be, like, flailing and just holding my breath completely out of control, stand up on my feet and be like, that was awesome, Right? And something I've been praying recently is, God, I encounter your power in this word. I want more. I want more of that power. Blow me away. Wreck my world. I don't want to just be a good Christian. I want to experience this. And so that led to uh, me praying last night. I couldn't go to bed. And uh, I was up reading this book, Chasing the Dragon, about this missionary who went to the Walled City in Hong Kong. Awesome stories. Highly recommend that book. And I prayed. I said, Lord, I love, I love a dream. I just, I just love a dream. I know you've spoken to me in dreams in the past, and I love a dream. And I had this feeling the second I said that, that you got to be careful what you pray for. Because um, it could be a really big wave that comes. And, and, and so with that said, I woke up at 4 a.m. with the most vivid experience of my life. And I woke up, I woke up sobbing. Un, I've never cried that much in my life. I couldn't even control it, like fetal position in the ground, like snot, just like curled up in a ball. I mean, wrecked, dude, wrecked. And I'm going to share the first half. Uh, of what I believe, you know, and, and you can, whatever, interpret this however you want, but I'm going to think it was from the Lord. I'm going to share the first half with you. The second half is what, was what rocked me. I think that, was, that one was for me. Uh, if you want to know about the second half, uh, we can share that maybe over a cup of coffee. Um, but in this, in this dream I had, I was at this massive, um, this massive party awesome pool, huge waves, ton of people. And in the dream, I was kind of like, man, this is kind of, is like, I feel like a representation of humanity and the world. And I was there and some of my best friends were there. I love these guys, man. And they knew I was there. They knew I existed in the dream. They're just, they're just like ignoring me. They're just blowing me off. And I uh, went up to one of them, and, and, and this is my boy. I was so excited to see him. And I could tell that when I was talking to him in this dream that he was kind of looking away, and he gave me the courtesy of talking to me, but he couldn't wait for that conversation to be over. And, and, and the pain I felt in that moment uh, of rejection, I feel like God was saying this is is. He's saying it to me, but I also, I'm sharing, this is a personal thing that I didn't really want to share, but I believe it's a message for us today, church, is that um, God doesn't want our indifference. God doesn't want our, 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 our Judaizing 
uh, a good works. Because I think for a lot of us here, we try to be externally really, really righteous. Why? So we keep God away from our hearts. We build this wall with our good works so that God doesn't get what he ultimately desires. He delights in, he loves in you. And my question is, is, is he getting that back? Church, do you delight in? Do you rejoice in God? Does he stir your affections? I think that's, that's the beauty of the gospel is that we get Christ. And so church, I just want to challenge us here this morning that uh, God wants so much more for your walk with him than just dutiful obedience. He sings over you. He declares you righteous. He died for you. He delights in you. Church, the Christian life is rejoicing in the Lord. The Christian life is delighting in God. And so if you're here today and you, and, 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 and you acknowledge God exists, but you don't truly know him like the Apostle Paul does, might I suggest that that's a dangerous place to be in? And might I even dare suggest that you might not truly know God? Because when you encounter him, it's, it, it wrecks your world. It wrecks your world. And in that dream, I just felt like, and, and, and the second half, I can't, the second half really helps us kind of understand the rest of it. But I feel like in that dream, um, for, in a strange way, God was showing me kind of what it's like, Nick, when, when I just go and I pray and I can't wait for that conversation to be over with God. I can't wait to just check it off the box when I go to, to, go to have my quiet time. Man, I just can't wait to check God off the box so I can go about and do my, my, my good Christian work. Christian, God, God doesn't want to be checked off the box. God wants your heart. We need to stop playing these religious games, which is just building up a wall, thinking we're righteous, and that's why God accepts us. No, no, no. Would you maybe for the first time today take the giant leap of faith and say, God, you got full access to my heart and to my life. And man, I hope he, I hope he just sends a big old wave of the Holy Spirit and rocks your world. So with that said, um, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I'm, I'm wrapping up. We have a whole lot to be thankful for this morning, church. May we raise our hands and worship. May we leave here singing. May we leave here smiling. May we leave here skipping. There's shots of joy for who Jesus is and all the hope we have in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that, man, you are so present in our lives. We thank you for that, God that you have not abandoned us, you have not left us, that you are actively at work in our lives. Spirit, come now. Lead us into repentance. Forgive us, God, for being indifferent to you when time and time and time again you speak to us and you woo us and you call us to yourself and we ignore it. And we can't wait for, for church to be over. We can't wait for that quiet time to be over. Forgive us, God. We need your help, Holy Spirit, to stir our affections for Jesus. We need your help. We're nothing without you, Spirit. Come in power. Change our lives. Change our hearts. May people who have their guard up, their hands crossed right now, Holy Spirit, would you uh, 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 wreck their world and come to call their hearts home and begin the beautiful, often painful work of making them more like you. Thank you, God. Thank you. 
for everything you've done, who you are, and the beautiful hope we have in you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.